Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 256. This is the December 1989 issue on sale October 3rd of 1989. Cover price of a dollar. It's titled The Key That Breaks the Lock. It's not a reference to lock and key. How is lock spelled? Like in lock and key. Oh, L-O-C-K? L-O-C-K-E. <gasps> oh, like my in, gosh. Like in Psylocke. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there in the title. It's not a spoiler. I guess it's it's also kind of there on the cover, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the cover, this is an action vengeance joint, sort of. It's not really, though. I think the X-Men uh, went out of their way to like make it look like they were going to participate with acts of vengeance, but didn't. I feel like the only reason the Mandarin is in this issue is because somebody said, Hey Chris, you really got to shoehorn in like a random villain that the X-Men would never fight. Yeah. But I, it works. This all works for me. It could just as easily not have him in here and it would be exactly the same story. It could have been some other random Chinese guy who's a ninja with powers. Or it could have just been, I think, last issue we got introduced to some long-haired assassin ninja guy. Well, he's he's right here on the first yeah. page. But I'm just saying it could have been just him. Like, he doesn't, like, in this issue, yeah. he brings Psylocke to Mandarin. But anyways, yeah, the cover, cover's okay. You know, it's uh, Lee Williams uh, doing, doing covers, doing the book, actually. But uh, we see Psylocke, and she's got metal armor. She's got a cape. She got a little Wolverine cowl because you do. <laughs> it's, it's it's just about the nineties. Yep. So everybody's gonna have one of these pretty soon, and then she's also got a single knife blade coming out of her wrist. This is a pretty cool outfit. Yeah. Do we ever, do we ever see this outfit? No. Or is that's just like not a thing that ever happens? Is it in the next issue? I feel like it well, might guess, be in the next issue, but it is in the next issue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mandarin is uh, standing over her, smoking his cigarette, wearing his rings. As you do. Yeah. He's got 10 of them, yo. Yeah, in Hong Kong, we start this adventure out. Uh, there's a mansion overlooking Hong Kong and a bunch of dead dudes in the courtyard. And, a bunch of dead ninjas. And uh, this, this guy, Matsua Tsayaraba. Sure. Sure. <laughs> We get a full page spread of him on the next page where he's like, hey, Mandarin, I just killed all your dudes. So you should probably listen to me because I'm here and they're not. Why pray tell should I should why pray tell should not your miserable life stand forfeit for theirs? I don't know. This is a weird this whole conversation doesn't really make sense for me. I, this one guy just killed all this other guy's dudes and this other guy's like, hey, why shouldn't I kill you? He's a, you know, he's articulate. It's a good point, but like, I don't know. <laughs> it's not really time for conversation. Normally it's it's always fight, 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 and I'm like, well, that maybe they should think before they fight. This time I'm just like, okay, you got your reasoning. Kill a dude. <laughs> why, why are you having a discussion? Uh, this one's written by Chris Claremont. Jim Lee's the penciler. Scott Williams is the inker. Glynis Oliver's the colors. Tom Warzakowski's the letterer. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is Taipan. Okay. Don't know what that means. Me neither. Yeah, I don't know. They they talk. <laughs> it's 
I, I feel like um, this could have been uh, a, a cool movie sequence, you know, uh, in in some like 90s um, Quentin Tarantino ripoff movie. It could have if it made more sense. I mean, like basically the hand guy or uh, Tatsuo was his name. Matsuo. Matsuo. Yeah. Uh, is saying, hey, we want to we want you to hire the hand as your ninja enforce enforcement group. So we killed off all your dudes. And OK, I guess that kind of makes sense. Yep. Oh, and by the way, we also have this other project going on. You should check it out. Yeah. And he also threatens him with Iron Man. Oh, yeah. He makes fun of him because, like, you keep getting beat by Iron Man. And uh, pretty soon people aren't going to take you seriously. Uh, I, I would assume that people already aren't taking him seriously. So eventually Matsuo talks his way into kind of allowing the conversation of the proceedings to, to move forward without the threat of uh, Mandarin killing him. And they have tea. I guess. I mean, it's it's just like, okay, I guess you killed all my dudes, so I guess I'll hire you. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of it's kind of weird. One thing I wonder, and I feel I like I read this somewhere, uh the whole inspiration for Psylocke becoming who Psylocke is, I thought I had read somewhere that it was Jim Lee's idea. Could be. But um, as you pointed out, I don't think Jim Lee is like he's not the artist at this point. No, he's he's essentially a fill-in artist at this point for um uh Sylvester. The regular Sylvester and Green. Right. Um, but, I mean, maybe this is his, like, I mean, this isn't his debut. So he's He's been in here before. So maybe he's considered, like, the swap-out artist when, so when Sylvester and Green are busy. He's, like, the backup artist now. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Um, <clears throat> but I thought I had read somewhere that his idea for Psylocke was essentially what they do here. So then I also wonder if this whole... Um, interaction between these two characters was driven by Jim Lee. You know, he's like, Hey, you should have this Matsuo guy who was in the last issue. Go talk to Mandarin. They're both of Asian descent. And I like drawing Asian people. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know either, <laughs> but I mean, Matsuo was in the last issue and I think it, that was uh Sylvester and green. So I guess who knows? The last issue was Sylvester, but I don't think, Oh no, it was green. It was the one where we were talking about how they were starting to uh, <laughs> look rushed. Yeah, it looked a yeah. little rushed. But uh, yeah. this issue, I got to be honest, uh, it's 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 polished. Well, I mean, it's Jim Lee and Scott Williams. They're they're to a fault, consistent if nothing else. Oh, absolutely. But I think I mean this is fair, fairly early on in their ten. Excuse me, their tenure. I wonder if. I can't remember. Like we read a, we read like two issues of Alpha Flight that mm. Jim Lee did, and I don't remember if they're, if they were inked by Scott Williams. I feel like Jim Lee at is best when inked by Scott Williams. I I would agree. Um, because I think and having having seen some of Scott Williams' art, uh, without with with where he is not the inker but the artist, the drawer, <laughs> <laughs> um, he. It kind of looks like Jim Lee uh, type stuff to begin with, so I don't know. It makes me wonder where the where the lines are. Who knows? They do well complementing one another, in my For opinion. Sure. So 
But anyways, yeah, so after they agree to have tea, we see a young Betsy Braddock at the circus with her brother Brian Braddock. She's flying in a Ferris wheel that has like a carriage and an old-timey car and a uh, World War II English airplane. Rolls-Royce Merlin engine-powered airplane. And right away you're like, what? Yes, right away you are like, what is happening? But pretty quickly you figure it out, because in the next panel, one of the the, uh, the carnival operators here, uh, he's got a mojo smile as well as mojo eyes. And then somebody calls him Mr. Mojo. Yep, <laughs> that's like a couple panels later. <clears throat> but we get a sense here that uh, Betsy Braddock loves adventure, and she's got a, like a, a very vivid imagination, or... Arguably, maybe her telepathic powers are manifesting themselves. I don't know. I was drawing some conclusions that weren't explicitly called out. Yeah, it seems like it's a flashback. But then as soon as you realize that Mojo's there, you're kind of like, oh, it's this is all in Betsy's head. So it's sort of a flashback, but from a skewed perspective, sort of. I don't know. I've got questions. But I, all oh things. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> I mean, if you don't. And we'll probably get into it, but you know, if you don't really think about it and you just like let the issue happen, it's okay. But then when you start being like, "Well, now wait a minute, <laughs> why is this yeah, happening?" You, uh, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> it, it, it very, it very much doesn't make entirely a lot of sense. So then I almost wonder if like what we're about to talk about was the original story, and they cut a few pages out and then shoehorned in uh, Matsuo and Mandarin to make a uh, acts of vengeance story. I don't know that a couple more pages would make this make more sense, though. I, we can talk. I think it would. Okay. Maybe. We'll talk about it when we get there. But anyways, so, uh, I mean, right away, uh, Betsy's airplane that's on this fer- Ferris, or this carousel, rather, uh, turns into, like, a real World War II battle. And she's flying around. She's an ace pilot. She's got goggles. Uh, but then she flies into a woman's mouth who looks suspiciously like Spiral. And she has a little spiral on her hat, yeah. which is a dead giveaway. It's Spiral. Yeah. And then the ride stops and a blonde woman who... Also is Spiral. Let's, is also let's... Spiral, yep. <laughs> Says, ride's over, time to go, we're closing out the show. And uh, Brian and Betsy take off from the uh, circus there, or the fair. Carnival, whatever oh. it is. Brian's continuing to read his books. We get an idea that maybe Brian has always was a bookworm prior to being Captain Britain. I don't know if that was ever established anywhere. And Spiral says, Miss Elizabeth, I found this in the cockpit. You must have dropped it. And it's a little ring. And Elizabeth says, I wasn't mine. And Mr. Mojo says, hey, someone else's loss. Your gain, way of the world. What's the harm in taking it? Looks it- like it was made for you anyway. It really is lovely. Take that. A lot nicer than anything I have at home and that. <laughs> Sometimes I think mommy and daddy aren't even aware that we're there. And that and that. So she's having like a little sword battle as she's heading home. Um, and also having this conversation. Then she tackles Brian, silly Brian, and his silly books. And grabs uh, his book on physics and says, come and take it away from me. What are you afraid of? I'm just a gal. <laughs> and Brian's like, all right, it's time for you to get a thumping. And as he barrels towards her, he turns into like a like a caveman warrior. Basically, Kesar. 
Kesar, and she turns into like a Valkyrie warrior-ess, warrior-ess. and uh, they, they fight, and then uh, as their swords meet, meet, they return back to the real world, and they're both like, what, what, what was that? What was that? Very confused, and Betsy says, something seemed to go spadoing inside my head. That's when the world turned all funny, so now we're thinking, oh, this is like one of the earliest manifestations of her powers. Right. You mean you did that, says Brian. I'm sorry I got so cross. I only wanted to play with you. I only wanted you to play with me just a little. <laughs> so she t- takes off and she's like, oh, we just live out in the country and there's nobody to play with. Nobody notices me or cares. And people think our house is haunted so they won't come around. And uh, Brian's like, I Brian finds another ring here and, and look, there's a ring. It fits perfectly. Maybe you'll build a whole collection. So now she's got two rings on her fingers. And of course, if you're following along at home, you realize that the Mandarin has 10 rings and this somehow relates to him. All right. So I guess that throws my grafting one story on top of the other one. Irrelevant because these rings are pretty, pretty well uh, established in this issue as important. Yeah. 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 Anyways, Jamie Braddock show, shows up in a Ferrari Testarossa and a hot girl. And uh, he's like, hey, Betsy, like my new toy. She's all right. You've done better. Ba-dum, no. bum, ba-dum, bum. <laughs> but I love your car. And the girl's like, Jamie, dearest. And uh, he's like, let's take the car for a ride. And the girl's all like, this little girl can't handle this car. And so Jamie works the pedals and the gear shifter and Betsy handles the wheel and they peel out. And somehow it's Betsy's fault that they're going so fast. I don't know. It's (laughs) Jamie. Jamie's working the pedal. Yeah. Well, and she's screaming faster, Jamie, faster. All right. Fair enough. Okay, sis. Now's the time to learn what we're really made of. And the girl that he was with is kind of falling all around. He he puts the pedal to the metal. Yay, this is great. They get you up go from to, 100 to 140 to 160 miles per hour. Help, help. I can't stand anymore. Please, I beg you, stop. Oh, all right. What a poop. <laughs> and Jamie, I guess, slams on the brakes because he's been waiting for those keywords. What a poop. <laughs> oh, that's my signal. Put on the brakes. And apparently the two of them have done this before because the car does a, a, a Yui as it is kind of uh, slamming on the brakes. So Betsy is like cranking the wheel as Jamie is like slamming the brakes and shifting the gears down. It's pretty impressive that they're able to pull this like off together. It's not easy to do this with one person in a car. Well, Adam, it's, it is a dream, so <laughs> they can do whatever they want. No. No. <laughs> And we, we kind of get the sense, the real sense at this point that it is a dream because as she gets out of the car in a wide angle, uh, she's like, no harm done. The car isn't even scratched. Um, the other girl's like, we could have been killed. And then we get our full close up and it's a busty, sexy, blonde Psylocke standing in front of Doug Ramsey. Which I don't feel like is a thing. Well, they had... I don't want to say a relationship, but for about five minutes in one issue. No, I'm just talking about busty blonde oh. Psylocke. Because, like, yeah. we, know, we know Psylocke was a blonde at some point. Yes, um, that's fine. But there was never this kind of over-sexualized version of her. So, again, yeah, it is a dream. Yeah. But I, I just, it's it comes out of, 
it just comes out of nowhere. I wish they had kind of stuck to the past of what we actually know how it was. That well, doesn't seem like there's any reason for her to be sexy in this particular scene. I don't know. Doug, he says, uh, why'd you do it, Betsy? Oh, he's not English. Why'd you do it, Betsy? It isn't like you at all. So I, I kind of took that to be like the fast car, the wide open, sexy shirt. Like, this isn't, this isn't you. And she responds back and she's like, don't say that, Doug. You and I, if you believe that, Doug Ramsey, then you don't know me very well. And why I ever bothered to care so much about a consummate child, I'll never know. And So we know Betsy and Doug have a little weird relationship. Yeah, it's like just five, five of, minutes and two issues or something. Yeah, and it was, you know, uh, there was enough there for for us to know what they're talking about. Yes, even though it was only five minutes and two issues, they made a big deal out of they it. They sure did, and can, and do for a little while. So, and that's when a uh, concierge says, "Welcome back to the body shop, Miss Betsy. We've been expecting you." And this is Mojo again. And then there's a sign on the wall, Mojo in the spiral tonight only. Not sure why this poster is outside of their house. It's a dream. <laughs> Actually, there's a bunch of posters of Mojo on the house. Yeah. The, the, none mm. of this makes any sense because it's all just a dream. Uh, <laughs> and we'll find out sort of why in a bit. But So you're saying I should stop trying to apply logic to the to the dream rules of this world? Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, I sort of, I guess. I mean, I'm going to ask some questions, but I think for the most part, you can write all of this off as a dream. This is a weird issue. It It is. Uh, so she walks into the body shop and Storm is there, but she's not our Storm. She's a uh, sort of classic Storm with the mohawk. She's got the mohawk. She's got long hair. Um, she's wearing some sort of British jumper pants. Is that what like those she's are? On safari or something like that? I don't know. I, I'm not sure what you would call these pants. They're like military style pants. They're from like World War One. They're like hammer pants, but with big red boots. Or I suppose they're that. <laughs> and they embrace one another. Um, they walk through the body shop, and Storm's like, "Look at all these clothes!" And she turns into a faux Supergirl costume. I didn't even notice that panel the first time. What is happening there? They're just, they're just like, they're just completely changing clothes as they're walking. Okay. It's all a dream. I, 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 I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she goes from those, those big hammer pants to a Supergirl costume uh, to like a black halter top with leopard print cover. And they drag Betsy off into the chair. Uh, Let go. What are you doing? You've looked like this your whole life. Time for a change, says Spiral. Out with the old, in with the news, says Mojo. The medium is the message after all. We can't have a Westerner ruining the Hong Kong underworld. So the implication there is that if she's going to be running the Hong Kong underworld, I said ruining, uh, <laughs> then she needs to look Asian, which is the apparent excuse for why Betsy goes from looking English to looking Asian. Right. So they pour some glop on her. And as they peel the glop off, her eyebrows are a little bit more arched and she's got kind of an Asian... Uh, set eyes. Whoever you were, my pet, it's no longer who you are. And now Betsy Braddock is the, the, the 90s Psylocke. And the 90s is born in this panel. <laughs> well, she does not, I don't think it's born yet because right now okay. she's got a full body leather suit, uh, top to bottom. She's got the Psylocke hair-ish. Um, 
we're getting there. We're getting close. Uh, so, uh, so now I feel she, like the, the minute you turn a British woman into an Asian woman is, is, is the point of no return. It's where the 90s begins. That's fair. Call but, the, yeah, I mean, we don't have the costume yet. So we're not, we don't have the look of the 90s yet. We'll call this like, uh, you know, September of 1989. Basically saying that Psylocke is the representation of the 90s. I could get behind that. I think this issue kicks off. Absolutely, you're right. This issue kicks off the 90s X-Men. And it all starts with Psylocke with her new redesigned self. Which I don't mind. I mean, you know, it's at this point, it's classic Psylocke. Sure, yeah. At the time, it was new and different. But I think it was still cool. Because, I, I mean, I think they were building through the, to this, more or less, throughout the tenure of kind of classic Psylocke and the X-Men where she's like, what's, where's my place? I am not strong. I need armor. You know what it is, is you're, you're, you know what Psylocke becomes as you're reading this and you know what Psylocke was before and you expect there to be a big deal in between that brings us from A to B. Yeah. And there's not, there's just this panel. So rarely is there. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I mean, how many times have you been like, there was this thing and now there's that thing. What happened in the middle, the middle just has to be amazing. And then you finally see it and you're like, oh, <laughs> the mole man put her into a machine and transformed her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just making up a random thing that could totally happen and recreate a character. Yeah. Okay. So Storm, or not Storm, Storm is still there. She's in yet a different costume. Uh, and Psylocke, new Psylocke, uh, is like, why, Oruro? Well, actually, <laughs> I'm not going to do what she would sound as <laughs> that because I feel like that crosses a line. So she'll just talk normal from here on out. Uh, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what that would be. It wouldn't be like the stereotype Asian voice because she's also sexy. So it'd be kind of like a, a whisper. But I don't want to do that either. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So she. why was Brian chosen to become Captain Britain and not me? He never wanted any of that. That's all I ever wanted. And uh, Storm's like, what, what's going on? You look strange. Because, I don't know. I feel no. As we know, Storm hates Asian people. <laughs> <laughs> That's not it, Aurora. I can't feel inside or out. It's like I'm screaming without making a sound. I touch, but there's no sensation. I'm solid, yet I don't exist. Alive, a ghost, a witch. Or witch. Someone's out there, Ororo, in the dark watching. And that's when we come back into reality. It's hard to make out, but in the distance, we see Psylocke hanging upside down in like a water, a back to tank, if you will, and some scuba divers. <laughs> and then yeah, there's she... like a dude cross-legged sitting on top of the back to tank. Which they explain on the next page is a uh, sensory deprivation tank. Yes. That they need to use to condition uh, Psylocke to her new status as whatever it is they're making her into. And we see that the Mandarin and Matsuo are the ones that are watching as she, as she thought. And uh, this panel before we see the two of them is probably the most Asian that Psylocke will ever be drawn ever again. Uh, which one? The, the, the little sliver of panel where she says alive, a ghost, which well, I, I don't think she she's ever that Asian again. Okay. This is my my opinion. Okay. There's like an Americanization uh, of a lot of these characters that transforms them from what they're supposed to be into just kind of the 
uh, Americanized version of that. And I feel like Psylocke is an example of that. Would you say Storm is as well? Oh, yeah. 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 I agree. So it, it's it's nice and interesting to see how Psylocke was originally intended to be a variation. She has Asian features mm-hmm. or traditional Asian features. So I don't know. It would be nice if they could actually stick with that, but they don't. Yeah, they'll turn and her I don't, into... I don't think we'll ever see it again. They'll turn her into manga Asian woman soon enough. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess they traveled from Mandarin's base in Hong Kong to Matsuo's hand base under the island or wherever they were while Psylocke was in the body shop. Well, I don't, I see the body shop thing. I don't, <laughs> the, 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 see, these are some of the questions that I have. It's like, does the hand know about the, uh, the, the, the background manipulation of Mojo and spiral. And I don't think they do. No, I don't think so either. I think, uh, they put her in the sensory deprivation chamber. They've got this psychic, this man who's sitting cross-legged above it, who's, effectively monitoring her but blocking out her perception of everybody else and And, also sort of guiding her from from a to b yeah like like they 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 know where she was they know where they want her to be they want her to find her own path from there to there and he's kind of just making sure yes she she gets there so i think all of the bits that we're seeing are you know we know she's got a past with uh mojo and spiral somehow it's never exactly been clear to me how all that works but whatever uh and then we know she's got like robot eyes which is never really explained why or and i thought she lost those i thought the the eyes that mojo stole and replaced with uh mojo cameras essentially Uh i thought i thought that went away like wasn't there a a turning point where they turned off or something like that or i don't i i think there, it, it's addressed in this issue a little bit, I think. Yeah, it is at the end. But I, I don't... The eyes and her past with Spiral and Mojo are not clear to me. I think there was ideas and then they just... Here we are. <laughs> so Matsuo is telling Mandarin, imagine, if you will, an operative who can read minds, control them, slay literally with, a, with, with but a thought consider what might be accomplished and mandarin asks why are you giving me this gift and matsuo says well uh we're the hand and we're a guild of assassins and we need employment but that doesn't make any sense it's like accept us as your uh your we need an we need an employer so employ us and here's a gift to get you to do it a gift that essentially is better than all of us (laughs) um yeah i don't know I don't remember how the next issue plays out. So maybe Matsuo has like the, the code word. Well, maybe you think it's a double cross. No, just like you can have her, but I can have her back whenever I want to. Cause I've got the code word, but I don't remember if that's the case. And then we, he says, if we can turn her Lord succeed where we failed with Electra, then truly nothing is beyond our power. Makes me wish I had actually read that Electra story, but it's l- always been on like the, the to-do list. But alas, you have not. The whole Daredevil, Electra, and the hand thing. Yeah. Well, uh, Psylocke keeps mourning her loss or, or missed opportunity of becoming a, a superheroine. 
Um, she was. She references the fact that she was Captain Britain for a day, uh, but she wasn't good enough. She was soft, weak, but no longer. Uh, she uses her rings to kill Storm. I want your ring, Storm. Yeah, you can't you have, have it. No, you have no will but mine. The Mento and the Mento Intensifier Ring is almost impossible to resist when wielded by normal mind, amplifying a telepath's power. That's my girl. Give it here, and she forces Storm to hand her the ring off of her finger. And then she says, uh, what are friends compared to power? Oh, and she basically, oh, she uses her flame blast ring to burn storm to a crisp. 10 rings for my 10 fingers. Yep. So then she says, uh, she won't rest until she has them all. And this is where she rips off her leather suit. And now we get the reveal of the Psylocke sexy ninja suit. And she so shows up at Colossus's art studio. And uh, Colossus has a ring. I want your ring, Colossus. Psylocke, <laughs> can you be so changed? Give me your ring, Colossus. No, I cannot. <laughs> You're dead, Colossus. I am not she good at living. The, uh, <laughs> she uses the uh, absolute zero of her ice blast to freeze Colossus to the point where she's able to destroy him, which... I feel like if this were Iceman, classes would be able to break free. Well, I mean, Iceman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so she she basically flicks him with his fing with her finger after he's uh, sub sub zero frozen and he shatters. He gets the ring, and then he shows up. Dazzler is playing a concert and. Uh, Psylocke comments like, "Wow, Colossus painting in New York. Dazzler working at a nightclub. What fascinating venues!" Uh, and then she kills Dazzler. Mojo and Spiral are there. Mm-hmm. Because they're always there. Um, the black light ring makes six. So let's... I, I, wait, was that right? So we got the two that she found in the beginning. The one from Storm. The one from Colossus. The one from Dazzler. That's five. Did she start with one? I'm missing... I'm missing one. She, uh, Spiral gave her the first one from the carousel ride. And Brian gave her the second one that he found. Storm had the third one. Colossus had the fourth one. And Dazzler had the fifth one. But where? But she says the black light ring makes six. We're missing a ring. You're right. Because the fourth ring came from Storm. Uh, hmm. Hmm. So there was a ring between... Well. There was another ring before Storm, is what you're saying. And then when she's driving the car, she has two rings. What a poop. <laughs> <laughs> Walks into the body shop, has a big, long conversation with Storm. Wait, does she, she oh. has three rings then she when has three she gets rings. out of the car. Oh, does she? Yeah. I don't see her hand. It's in the panel where she's talking to Doug Ramsey. She's just got like her hair behind her head. Oh, and then there's, she's got a third ring. The middle panel. So, so somewhere in between stopping the car and she, she gained another ring, but we didn't. We didn't. Uh, let's just say that Jamie gave it to her. Okay. Jamie or Doug. Sure. Or both. Um, so now she got six rings after she uses the electro blast on Dazzler. And then we focus our attention into Genosha where Havoc's running away from the press gang. Uh... Press gang strong woman punch out and a squad of magistrates. Remember punch out? No. I vaguely remember her. 
give up, mutant. There's no place to run. I'm running and fighting, lady, till my people are free. And this stinking society of yours makes mutant slaves. And uh, he jumps from one building to another building, and he's holding on by his fingertips. Psylocke shows up and says, give me your ring, and I'll save you. Or I won't let you fall. She uses the black light beam to uh, blind the magistrates, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what the black light ring does. That, that, that'll be important later. And then uh, Havok reaches up to, to get that salvation, and uh, Psylocke gets the ring uh, and then vaporizes Havok, so thus not lying. She did not let him drop. I won't drop you, but I will argue. And then she shows up, uh, and we're just zipping through this at this point. Uh, two panels, uh, one of Carol Danvers and Rogue. They're both dead on the ground. They've killed each other. From and... their faces, these two hated each other. Do I hate the X-Men and the life I led them with? Why else would destroying them come so naturally? Did she get two rings from them or just one ring? Yeah, at this point, I stopped counting. So let's say two. Okay. And that's when Captain Britain's helmet comes rolling on by. Uh, and somebody says, by the by, if you sink the ninth ring, your brother had it, but Captain Britain won't be needing it any longer. The impact beam is mine, Psylocke. And so Ow. now it's blasted. My pretty at long last you are. No, it can't be. And she says, Slaymaster, as if I know who that is. You don't remember Slaymaster? Nope. He was in uh, Captain Britain or one of those Captain Britain issues. His stupid helmet is somewhat familiar. Well, it looks like Magneto's helmet. Oh. But like a green version. He wasn't wearing that helmet in the Captain Britain comics? He probably was. I don't honestly remember him either, but I remember the name Slaymaster. Yeah. Dead? Tell me, foolish child. Did you see the body? (laughs) That is what he sounds like. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I'm I'm a match for you. I'm not just a telepath anymore. I've got real power. And this is where the psychic who's in Matsuo's lair, uh, who's sitting on top of the Bakta tank, he screams out in pain. Tell me, emissary, says uh, Mandarin, is this part of your scenario? And somehow Psylocke is in, uh, resisting the influence of... The, all, all the stuff that is happening to her. She should be well along the way to eliminating all the critical elements of her of, and relationships of her past, culminating in the personal execution of those she loves and ultimately her heroic self, an ongoing spiraling circle of deception and betrayal that will bind her irrevocably to the hand. But something's gone wrong. A random element has entered the equation and it's threatening to kill her. So I don't know if this is the, the mojo influence causing... Betsy's psyche to strike back against herself or I don't know. I don't know either. I'm going to go with that because I just made it up. She and uh, Slaymaster continue fighting. Uh, Slaymaster's pulling the rings off of Psylocke's hands. No, not my rings. They're mine. And he says, that's the least I shall take from you. And he scoops out her eyes. And it doesn't even like he, he, he doesn't really scoop them. He just kind of knocks them aside. Ew, nasty. Says Spiral in the background. They're only her eyes. What's there to complain about? Not as though she needs them or anything. Says Mojo also in the background. They're just kind of there watching. Mm-hmm. Mojo's in like a British, old-timey British judge's outfit. 
I guess. Spirals in like a wedding gown or something. Yep. Well, maybe they're getting married. <laughs> maybe. So, yeah. They, uh, they're they fighting. It looks like Psylocke's done for. It looks like Slaymaster is about to ruin her. Not um, my kind of ending at all, says Mojo. So twist up a rewrite, says Spiral. And that's when Psylocke uses all of her force and punches him in the face. Looks like it shatter, shatters his face and helmet. Kicks all of his armor off. Uh, kicks all of the shell away to reveal that that's the, been the Mandarin the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where it threw me off. I was, I was a little confused too. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. Because everything else is from her past. And the rings are not from her past. So I guess that's the connection to Mandarin. But mm. does, she, does she know who Mandarin is? I, or does she still think it's Slaymaster? I don't know. She well, never... well, well. What have we here? There's more to Slaymaster than it seems. He uses the black light ring on her, and she makes fun of him because she's like, "I'm a blind telepath. I see with my mind, silly man, not my eyes." She elbows him in the throat, grabs a rock, getting ready to smash him in the face. And he says, "Well, the Mandarin wears these sacred rings. He is unbeatable." My will amplified a thousandfold by my Mento intensifier beam is more than sufficient to bring you to heal. Cast aside your boulder, Psylocke, and acknowledge the Mandarin is your lord and master. You may control the ring, but mine through my telepathy controls your thoughts. So her telepathy is more powerful than the Mandarin's rings. I do like all of these shots of her eyes after her eyes are scooped out. Um, it, they're all in shadow, mm-hmm. so you never actually see anything. Yep. There's just kind of the sort of the implication that they, she has no eyes. So does she use uh, does she use her uh, telepathy power to convince him to use his rings to disintegrate himself? Or that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mojo in the background says, "Wicked wee Psylocke, her dance is almost as twisty topped a uh, turvy spiral as yours." I'll take that as a compliment, but now our girls won the day. What comes next? Why give her her inner eyes to watch the outer ones we gave her long ago so she can act as clearly as we can't walk the wild ways after all without Mojo's eyes to show the way. So, I don't know. Does she still have Mojo eyes or no? <laughs> what are inner eyes? We we give her inner eyes to match the outer ones we gave her long ago. So we know that the ones you gave her long ago are the camera eyes. Uh, what are inner eyes? I don't know. Camera brain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now she has camera brain and camera eyes. So she's like a walking camera. I don't, I don't really know. And then we, we flash to the real world where Psylocke is, uh, um, bent, uh, her knee, she's on her knees in front of Mandarin, uh, looking as though she is pledging her allegiance. And everybody in the room, except for uh, Mandarin and Matsuo and a couple of hand guards, are dead. So she killed the old telepath that was sitting, probably psychically killed him, uh, on top of her deprivation chamber. All the scuba divers that were in the deprivation chamber with her are dead. Um, Psychic residue damage, I guess. Unfortunate losses, Lord, but under the circumstances, altogether acceptable ones. I return these rings, one in fair combat, to their rightful lord and master. 
and who has for now and all time become mine. Um, did they not see her just kill the Mandarin in the psychic vision? I th- no. Wouldn't the Mandarin be like, "Hey, that's really cool that she's returning my rings." Why do I? Why did I need to give my rings for this? I I think that was all psychic or, I I don't know. But she is physically now giving him the rings, which implies that they needed to use the rings in this uh, thing that they just did to Psylocke. I don't think that um, uh, they saw that stuff happen. I think that was all inside of her mind. uh, And because at the end of the comic, uh, she says, uh, we have our Lord and through her, who knows, a emissary? Who knows indeed? And then we see kind of like an evil grin from Psylocke. So it's almost as if... Uh, sh- well, that's like a mojo grin. Psylocke is giving us a mojo grin. Is she? That's what I think. Okay. I took it as more of like a, I know something you don't know. Like, Well, yeah, it's that too. Okay. So It's, it's both It's both an evil, like, I have a secret that I'm going to use against you in the next issue, uh, evil grin, but also it's a mojo is in charge sort of evil grin somehow. Yeah. Okay. My interpretation. Go ahead. No, my interpretation of everything is that, um, I just imagine like a movie. So like you're seeing all of her visions in like, uh, uh, super developed color, like very high saturation. Then you pull back to the real world and it's muted colors and like all these people like flying around and getting like beat up and killed. And then we go back into her mind and we see all the events that are happening. And then we come back to the real world and, and she's been broken air quotes. And so, so all they saw was is, just like all this stuff happening. But um, yeah. So what you're saying is this movie inspired or this this comic book inspired the movie Sucker Punch. Uh yeah, you know, I had such higher hopes for Sucker Punch. <laughs> the movie was not good. It it's a train wreck though, and like train wrecks, there's something fascinating about uh that happening. I guess it's it's I suppose it's not as graphically uh, horrific as a train wreck. But uh yeah. I don't know. People, people are like fascinated with the, with after a car crash, the people really like looking at a, at the car and well, just sure, kind of sure, a, sure. imagining, imagining the experience of that. And that's kind of what Sucker Punch was. Is it's like it's one of those gutted, smashed, crashed in cars, and you don't know how this ever got made. You don't know why anything's happening as it's happening, but at some time, at the same time, you just kind of can't look away. It's weirdly not good yeah no somebody uh somebody had described the plot to me but without any spoilers i was like oh that sounds super interesting and (laughs) i watched it and i was like what is happening i don't care about any of this so yeah uh sort of i guess but uh maybe just a little bit more interesting version of sucker punch is what i'm (laughs) describing so the, so I agree with you that they don't they do not they did not see the Mandarin stuff at the end, but I still don't understand why in the very last panel she has all of Mandarin's rings and she is presenting them to him because that to me is just like I don't know I, oh. I don't feel like the the Mandarin would be like uh, or the hand would be like hey uh, Mandarin uh, we need your rings for the final bit of this and the Mandarin would be like oh cool here you go 
Yeah. Okay. I can agree with that. I have no problem parting with my 10 rings of power that are very important to my very existence. Yeah. No, I, I see where I see what you're getting at. And it's never explained. So I guess I'm just confused about that. But, you know, we have smarter listeners than us. So maybe they can fill us in. What's going on with the rings, people? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, hit us up, though. Um, Pow. Yeah. Uh, we got some letters. We did. And we got some fan mail here. Uh, guys, if you're still taking, I haven't read any of these. So this, this is all going to be. This is, this is fresh, people. This Oof. is uh, off the cuff. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this, is, this whole bit is improvised. <laughs> if you're still taking suggestions for the 300th episode, I found this feature in Marvel Age. Number 63. Ooh, with the image files attached. So what do you think about a watch party or running commentary for the uh, 1989 Pride of the X-Men's show? Hmm, interesting idea. There was also a an X-Men quiz from that issue of Marvel Age. Will it stump the hosts of the Danger Room podcast? Uh, an answer key is included. Uh, the last image is Marvel House ad for the prominent summer of 89 events. Notice how they promoted this current era of the uncanny X-Men as an event. Uh, at least they choose an apropos title, which years later was reused for the trade paperback collection of these issues. That, was that from would be... Disillusion and Rebirth. Brian Close Jave Javier. And if you scroll down, the quiz is right there. I did not include the answer key, though. That's so, fine. Um, which is fine because, you know, somebody somebody will have to tell us later. I mean, maybe we'll look. We're, we're not even going to look at the answers right now is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely not. I had the issue and probably still do have the issue, uh, number 63, of... Uh, Marvel Age. What did he say? Yeah, number 63. I don't remember this quiz specifically, but I do remember that on the cover it had kind of like the splash logo of Pride of the X-Men. Uh, and inside there was the... Uh, it wasn't Fred Hembeck, was it? I think... Well, there was like a cartoon in the middle. And in the cartoon, uh, they're like, yeah, it's the X-Men cartoon. We've been waiting for this so long. And then they're like, look, it's Storm. Look, it's Kitty Pride. And then they're like, oh, it's Wolverine. And then there's like a silent panel. And then they're like, gosh, that Australian accent is awful. Because evidently, <laughs> the actor who played Wolverine in Pride of the X-Men was Australian, which I thought was weird because years later, Hugh Jackman played Wolverine. I thought that was a weird connection. And and, and uh, that's why they hired him, because they were looking for an Australian. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody, somebody, somebody saw Pride of the X-Men, and they were like, we need an Australian. Well, uh, this is the 300th episode, isn't it, Adam? No, this is the 301st episode. Oh, we totally so, missed the bus on 300. Uh, so we are, you are a little bit too late, Brian Close Javik Shavier. Um, but we're going to do your quiz because it's here. Absolutely. We're going to do the quiz. Um, and we will try to get, is Pride of the X-Men available anywhere? Everything's available somewhere. Yeah. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it's available for you to pay for, but it's available. <laughs> I, I, I have looked, I've seen it. Uh, I've never seen it actually. Oh, I've, interesting. I've seen maybe the first minute of it and I had always intended to watch it, but never got it. Like, it's probably on YouTube actually. Oh yeah. I think that, that's where right. I started watching it, but it was like a low quality and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll wait until I get a better quality. Uh, I, I remember it's on Disney plus. I, yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like there'd be like a weird rights issue. Maybe like, like I don't know that I'm not sure. I don't know if that was produced by Fox 
I bet it was X-Men, though. The animated series is on Disney Plus. Well, that makes sense because it's Fox. Okay. But uh, I, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good point. But I feel like maybe Pride of the X Men would have been a joint venture between Fox and some other house. I feel like it's Marvel and Geek. Yeah. Oh, really? No, I don't. I'm just making oh. that up. Okay. Well, maybe. <laughs> but um, anyways, I've seen it. Uh, I, I remember when the show never I never saw it like I don't know if it ever actually aired on TV I assume that in some markets it must have because it was a pilot but they were promoting the heck out of it in the comics and just waiting for like when, where is it when's it gonna come uh, and I either missed it or it just never aired in my market uh, and then you know a while later they'd be like bye pride of the x-men on VHS for 29.95 and it's like 1991 29.95 ain't nobody got that kind of money <laughs> So that was back when VHS tapes were expensive. Holy crap. Were they expensive? You'd buy two, uh, two episodes of star Trek for 20 bucks. Crazy. Well, then that, I I think that was a deal. You can buy like a season for less than 20 bucks. (laughs) Nine 99 at your local pawn shop. (laughs) All righty. Are we doing, I guess. Yeah. We got to do the quiz now, huh? Yeah. Uh, number one, uh, these troops want me bad. I wish I knew why. Holy terror. Why me? These were the first published words of what X-Man? A, Rogue. B, Banshee. C, Longshot. D, Lockheed the Dragon. I don't, I don't know why they need to specify Lockheed the Dragon. <laughs> How are we, are we going to like go back and forth? Like, I got to answer this one and then I'm going to read you the next one and then just back and forth? Uh, yeah, let's go back and forth with reading them. But as far as uh, decision making goes, we can we can come to a consensus. I will probably defer to you for most of these, unless I'm absolutely positive I know an answer. I don't. Like this one, this one, I'm guessing is Banshee. I don't know. I, I, who says Holy Terror? That's. I'd go with Longshot because Banshee's first appearance, he is like evil criminal guy. If you remember, like way back in in original X Men. Well, that's why I feel like he would be followed by troops. All right, so maybe we're going to diverge here. I'm going to go with B, He's Banshee, and you're going to go with C, Longshot. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And Longshot's first appearance was not actually the Longshot limited series, was it? I thought it was. Oh, gosh, I don't remember. As we covered it, it was, but <laughs> I, it, that may have been out of order. Yeah. Uh, what about Rogue? Uh, Rogue's uh, first appearance so. Rogue was, was... Was that Avengers number 10? Or had she, or annual number 10, or had she made an appearance before? She'd made earlier no, appearances. It, it, yeah, it was well before that. She yeah. was in Dazzler before that. Yeah, uh, all right. Uh, all right, B or C. I, I'm on the fence. Like, if you told me, like, you could see it in your mind's eye, I'd probably be like, yeah, you're right. But no, I really don't know. <laughs> it's right. definitely it's definitely not Lockheed. I got, I got number two, though. I think we both got number two. Okay. Dazzler made her Marvel Comics debut in Dazzler number one, Amaz- uh, Amazing Spider-Man number two hundred seven, X Men number one thirty, or Night Nurse number one. Yeah, well, that's yeah, it's obviously X Men number one thirty. Yeah, man, that one I'm sure about. Ooh, ooh. Uh, number, th- oh, go ahead. Now go ahead. We I, we got this one too. Oh. I got which X Men would you consult for a quick seminar in archaeology? A Storm, B Psylocke, C Havoc, D Iceman. I feel like should we be like giving the audience just like a moment before we just I, jump in with the answer? I think we are uh, doing that accidentally. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, it's but I mean, regardless, if as an audience, once once I say whatever, once Jeremy or I say D, and you want to think about it in case we forget to give you a moment, pause. 
The answer is Havoc. I agree. That, that would be the answer that I would also give. Uh, Wolverine and Mariko took a young Japanese orphan under their care. Yeah, did they? <laughs> like once. Well, Mariko. Mariko did. <laughs> <laughs> to, I think that says to, to be Mariko's ward and like unto Logan's adoptive daughter. What was her name? Was it Liko, Michiko, Akiko, or Siko? So, Sieko, Sieko is a watch brand, isn't it? Oh, Seiko, yeah, that's a watch so, brand. Seiko. Yeah. So, so I'm getting a pattern here. <laughs> D D is never the answer. Uh, apparently not. Well, uh, it's a Kiko, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, who? <laughs> who fired the neutralizer weapon that robbed Storm of her powers? A Forge. B Henry Peter Gyrich. C Valerie Cooper. D Professor Plum in the library. Again. Obviously not D. Huh. My immediate reaction was going to be Forge, but I, that wasn't. It wasn't Forge. Valerie Cooper, it, like. It was Forge. Of course, it was Forge. He shot the gun at her. Yeah. It wasn't Henry Peter Gyrick. That was the whole point. Was that he shot it? I don't think so. Then he felt bad about it. I think he felt bad for inventing the gun. Okay. Well, I think I'm sticking with Forge. Jeremy is shifting his answer. I, I think I I feel like it was. Henry Peter Gyrick. Okay. Yeah. I'm sticking with Forge. All right. How are we going to, like, track who did what? Or is the audience just going to be like, one of them's dumber than the other one? Yeah, we'll never bring this up again. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I mean, the he, he uh, 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 Brian Close Shave Xavier, uh, sent us the answer keys as well, so we can look them up on our own. Oh, okay. The fans can't. <laughs> Unless they can dig up a copy of, uh, what was it? Uh, Marvel Age Marvel number sixty-three. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if there's if there's a high enough demand, we'll we'll post it. We'll post the image on our Facebook or whatever. I feel like Storm was shot into the water, and Forge runs out and is like, "Do you have any idea what you've done? You've stripped her of her powers," and he's all mad. Yeah, you could be right. I'm not saying you're not right. Okay. I'm saying that I'm sticking with Forge. Okay, you're wrong. It's certainly possible. Both. I feel like I feel like Marvel Age isn't going to have a trick question, but I could be wrong about that. No, but all three of these characters were featured heavily in that issue, so that's it's true. That's why I'm kind of not entirely sure, but pretty sure. I mean, technically, you could argue that Valerie Cooper Cooper asked Forge to design the gun, therefore she is ultimately responsible. Mm-hmm. But they're asking who fired the neutralizer weapon. Uh, number six, both Cyclops and Magneto have been, uh, romantically paired with what Marvel supporting character? Oh, I know this one Me without too. even looking at the answers. <laughs> uh, Colleen Wing, Lee Forrester, Madeline Pryor, or Anne Nascenti? Well, obviously not Anne Nascenti. It's, of course, it's Lee Forrester. Yes. Cyclops was involved with all three of the first three. And Magneto was also involved with Lee Forrester. Oh, he was involved with Colleen Wing for like a day, wasn't he? Cyclops, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, for like an issue or maybe two issues. <laughs> yeah, weird. Moira McTaggart and Sikorsky, medic to the Star Jammers, jamming across, uh, worked together to A, save Aurora from the possession of her body by a brood queen, B, restore Kitty's body, fading to non-existence after the assault of the Marauders, C, clone a new uncrippled body for Charles Xavier, 
or D, create the best stupid pet trick ever seen on Late Night with David Letterman? Uh, the D answers are not very funny. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, um, so far, I'd agree with you. I It wasn't B. It wasn't the kitty body because that was Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Who working together. I think it was C. I, I um, feel like you're probably right. I don't remember Aurora ever being possessed by a brood queen. Well, there was that issue where she like transforms into a brood on the cover. But wasn't that Wolverine that eventually in the actual issue does get possessed by the brood queen? He does. And then his healing factor. But then I feel like Storm was reborn in like the mouth of a Shi'ar whale ship or something like that. Yeah. Storm is the space whale. We all know this. All right. So C. I'm going to go C as well. You're right. And I remember he steps out and he's like, oh, check me out. I'm I'm walking, talking Professor Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. With <laughs> with with what words did Kate Pride cue Rachel Summers to send herself back through time via post hypnotic command? Ooh. A. Shadowcat. B. Scott and Jean. C. Dark Phoenix. D. Nuff said. Hmm. I don't know. I don't. I'm going to go with Shadow Cat. I'm going to go with Shadow Cat. So, what words did Kate Pride cue Rachel Summers to send herself back through time? Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll go with Shadow Cat. That makes the most sense. Yeah. Although I, I, I have no idea. It's process of elimination. I don't specifically remember that happening. But outside of her own book, the X of uh, their own book, the X Men have frequently had adventures published, which teamed them up. In a one-shot or miniseries with other superheroes, which team did not share a book with the X-Men? A, Micronauts. B, Alpha Flight. C, New Teen Titans. D, Defenders. See, now, if they were if they were trying to be really tricky, they would put New Teen Titans in the D spot. Yeah. Because I, that would be a trick. But as it stands, I, they, they, they definitely teamed up with New Teen Titans. They definitely teamed up with Alpha Flight. Feel like they teamed up with Micronauts. We covered a Micronauts issue for one reason or another, okay. so I'm gonna say that yeah. So the the answer is D, the Fe- Defenders. Feel like it's a trick question though, because we had like three X Men on the Defenders. Uh that's but, true, but there was never there was never like an X Men title crossover. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the Defenders. Yeah, me too. What X Men's parents were named Neil and Maria? Professor X, Iceman, Thunderbird, or Rogue? Hmm. I have no idea. I'm going to go with Professor Xavier. Do we know... What what were Iceman's parents? I don't remember. (laughs) I'm going to go with Iceman, just to create some slight difference that we're not always choosing the same answer. I don't think it's Rogue. I don't think it's Thunderbird. It's either Professor X or Iceman. No. Thunderbird's parents were probably something racist like you know, running bull or something like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. And rogue, um, I'm pretty sure we don't know what her parents are. But I, um, I don't. Do we know Professor Xavier's parents though? Well, there was a story if you remember uh, X Men number what eleven or twelve, where the Juggernaut shows up and they go into the backstory about the adoptive uh, brother, Kane Marco. Mm. I don't recall. I mean, they, there must have been the parents in that issue somewhere. Interesting. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to go with Iceman, just because I know we've met Iceman's parents. All right, there it is. Where did Phoenix die? Oh, this one's easy. <laughs> the Blue Area of the Moon, the Hellfire Club, 
in the neutron galaxy enclosed by the McCran, yeah, McCran crystal in the explosion of the planet Krypton. The blue area of the moon. Yeah, yeah, that was that was easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a gimme. <laughs> Where was Banshee when he was recruited for the new X-Men? In his ancestral castle in Ireland? On an undercover mission for S.H.I.E.L.D.? In the audience of the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville? In plastic surgery so his face would look normal for a change? That's kind of a clever de-answer. <laughs> um, do you remember? I remember. Oh, I remember. We we made we had a lot of fun with that. It was the audience yeah. of the Grand Old Opry. Yes. Yeah. What character was in suspended animation for a time at Xavier's school, released when he had received uh, when he received his own series? Oh. Wait. What character was it was in suspended animation for a time at Xavier, released when he was received his own? Okay. A. The werewolf. B. The beast. C. Morbius. D. Gru the wanderer. Oh, I really wish it was Gru. I don't uh, actually know this, so by process of elimination, I'm going to choose Morbius. Suspended animation for a time at Xavier School released when he received his own series. Because Morbius had his own series, the Beast wasn't in suspended animation. I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, Morbius, because I don't I don't know the werewolf well enough to know that that's even a Marvel character. It's <laughs> obviously not Gru, because that's an epic comic. Uh, I um. Only remember the Juggernaut being in suspended animation at the mansion. Oh, yeah. So That's right. But that's it. All righty. Um, number 14, folks. Six more to go. The FBI agent who was liaison to the X-Men and Charles Xavier was named Amos Fred Duncan. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Fred Amos Duncan. Duncan Fred Amos. Famous Amos. Uh, I was going to say this one's a gimme, but apparently I don't, I don't remember. I think it was Fred Amos Duncan. I think. But it could very easily be Amos Fred Duncan. (laughs) Well, that's, yeah. Uh, In the original issues, he was called Fred, but then there was one issue where somebody called him Amos for some reason. We talked at length about that, but then we read something where one of the two names was his middle name or nickname or something. But I'm going to go with Fred Amos Duncan as well. All right. We're both going with B. (laughs) Number 15, Sauron, the mutant's pterodactyl-like foe, was in real life Carol Lycos, Cal Rankin, Peter Corbeau, J.R.R. Tolkien. That's kind of clever, D. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was uh, A, right? Carl Lycos? Yeah, Carl Lycos. That one's fairly easy. What lost golden age what lost golden age character was rediscovered by the angel? Was it the wizard, the blazing skull, the red raven, or Namor? Oh, do you remember this one? I remember this one. I think I do. Uh, I was it the red raven? That, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I think it was a weird one-off issue of Angel where he discovers the Red Raven and we were like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which character made his first ever appearance in the Marvel Universe in the pages of X-Men? Oh, I know this. Oh, yeah. Sherlock Holmes, a Frankenstein monster, Robin Hood, and David Copperfield. It was Frankenstein, well, wasn't it? The Frankenstein monster is the only one that I can remember having appeared in the Marvel Universe. I did not know, or uh, in the pages of the X-Men, I don't remember, I didn't know that was his first appearance. Hmm. That's kind of that's kind of a fun fact. Yeah. So B for that one. 
Who was the first X-Men to die in a battle? The Mimic, Thunderbird, Changeling, or Bucky? I think this who's, is a trick question, actually. Who's who's Changeling? I don't remember. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with the Mimic. So I feel the Mimic was the guy who like was an al- amalgamation of all their powers, right? Yeah, and didn't didn't he die? He died. I'm pretty sure he died. And he, uh, he like the professor made him an X Men for like a few issues. Right. Uh, although, let me. So the Changeling didn't the Changeling have like a weird, stupid hat? Like the mimic was just like a guy. He's just like a teenager who's like best question I've been asked all day. The, the mimic was a guy who, who was just a teenager that one day was like, "Hey, I can do what they can do," and oh, hey, those must be the X Men because I just grew wings. But yeah. there was a guy named the Changeling who I feel like there was a guy named the Changeling who was tall and had a stupid hat uh, and a purple <laughs> evil outfit because they all do. Okay, I. But he wouldn't have been a member of the X Men then. I feel like he was maybe just a villain. Bucky obviously isn't the answer. I just can't with, remember I'm sticking, if the I'm sticking with the mimic. I can't remember if the mimic uh, died in battle. I mean, he must have, right? And he, I, I feel like he also came back a few issues later. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually break with that. I feel like, you're, I feel like this is like, like deep cut knowledge. You think this is a trick? I don't know, but I'm gonna go with Thunderbird. Because that was okay. definitely in battle. I feel like the Mimic died, but I just can't remember if he died in battle. That was like classic classic X-Men's, and those guys didn't really die. But I feel like there was a big deal about the Mimic dying. Hmm. Yeah, there was. Oh, wait, no. Uh, the Mimic or the Changeling, one of the two, was the Professor. Uh, you're right. The Changeling was the Professor. And he died. But I don't think it was in battle. I I don't think he was in battle either. But he did, Yeah, so the... Ch- and who died first, the Mimic or the Changeling? Oh, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. I'm going to stick with the mimic. Okay. Well, I'm glad we put but the I'm... pieces together for who all these people are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, here's this is a good one. Count Nefaria once led a team of yesteryear supervillains. That's uh, that's what they were called in 1966. Uh, against the X-Men, the team did not include A, the eel, B, the unicorn, C, plant man, D, Paste Pot Pete. Oh, man, we just talked about Paste Pot Pete like last episode. I know. And we're actually going to talk about Plant Man later in this episode. <laughs> wow. I'm going to go with Paste Pot Pete, but I don't really yeah. remember. I think it's Paste Pot Pete. Yeah. I, I remember. I definitely remember the unicorn and Plant Man. Um, a, a trick might be that one of these people was not in that team that worked for Count Nefaria. Uh, but I'm, I think the eel, the unicorn, and the Plant Man all were. Yeah. Uh, number 20, saving the worst for last. According to its price as listed in the Overstreet Price Guide number 17, how many copies of X-Men number one would you have to trade for a new Chevrolet Beretta GT? This assumes that you know the price of both of those <laughs> things in 1989. Yeah. I, um, there was a point in my life when I probably knew exactly how much X-Men number one was worth, probably very close to the Overstreet price guide number 17. I, but I, I don't know what the $500 maybe is what that went for. Do you think that's too cheap in 1989? If it's, let's say it's $500 and let's say that the Chevrolet Beretta GT in 1989 sold at like, I don't know, 40,000. Is that too much? I feel like that's, I don't know. 
Do you think sixteen thousand dollars in nineteen eighty nine was a lot for a car? Uh, Feels like it. Yeah, it does. I'm gonna go with C thirty two. Because even it's kind of hedging your bets. Because maybe that comic was actually worth a thousand dollars. So then you're at thirty two thousand dollars. But I I guess I don't. Was a Beretta like one hundred twenty seven thousand dollars? That's that's too expensive. Yeah, one hundred twenty seven seems like too many. I I agree with you. C. (laughs) There you go. Woof. That was. uh, I feel like. you know, between the two of us, uh, we probably scored uh, probably a good, good, good ninety percent. Yeah, I think so. It's allowing for for one or two to be incorrect. Had I not been doing this podcast, uh, I probably would have got a lot more of these wrong. Yeah, same here. Same here. So I, I certainly would have known the yesteryear villains. <laughs> Had we not talked about them probably like regularly. I bet many folks in nineteen eighty nine. Probably didn't either because they weren't, you know, readily available. So, certainly not that issue. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. 19, I was trying to configure like, wait, did he say 1966 or 1989? Yeah, in 1990, in 1989, nobody would have known. In 1966, I still feel like nobody would have known. I could be wrong about that. Um, What's this weird comment on our web page? Uh, this is... Uh, let's see. We got we got two comments on our webpage, both from Brian. Um, he he's the one who uh, was chatting with us about the uh, Lady Death Strikes relationship with Donald Pierce. Ah, yes. We, we had uh, we had discussed that in a previous episode, probably two ninety eight or two ninety nine or two ninety seven, somewhere around there. Um, he's f- following up our answer with another answer. Uh, and it's 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 a long post. He uh, breaks with me and really likes Rick Leonardi's work. <laughs> That's fine. Really, we'll, we'll skip we'll skip we'll skip around. I apologize in advance, Brian. We're, like I said, we're doing this off the cuff, um, and this is a lot of words that we're not prepared to read. Uh, episode two fifty two. We love the he loves the voice that we gave to Jubilee. I think that was the uh, the uh, Valley Girl voice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be coming back. Reading issue 303 is going to be a challenge when you eventually get to it. Ah, We're we're up to the task. If we can just remember what the voice was, which tends to be our problem. I don't remember what the Psylocke voice is anymore, which I guess doesn't matter at this point. Although I kind of want to do the uh, Mrs. Doubtfire voice for the new Psylocke. (laughs) Sure. Uh, He says he's in the minority because he really likes Rick Leonardi's work. He met him at Albany Comic Con a couple years ago. Before the era of social distancing, he was generous enough to do a free Wolverine portrait as a thank you for buying some of his original comic pages from a Dazzler backup story in Classic X-Men. Looking at the original uncolored work makes his stuff look even better. I, I can believe that. Uh, he's really quite good at layouts and using negative space. You know what? If I saw Rick uh, Leonardo's work and I was able to flip through it and purchase it and it was under like 100 bucks, I'd probably buy some. He's, it's a name. I, you know, for as much as I talk about not liking him, uh, I, I probably would too. I mean, he's drawn some pivotal issues in, in the X-Men's uh, career, so. I only own two, two pieces of comic artwork, and um, and I did not pay more than $100 for either of them. Um, one's a Fantastic Four issue or a page, and the other one's from like an indie comic or something. And I don't even remember who the artists are. I oh, just nice. liked them. I thought they were good pieces of art, so I bought them. Nice. I also wanted to buy some stuff from Gerhard, who is the inker for Cerebus, 
Uh, but that was expensive. I couldn't afford it. So I bought some prints, some Cerebus prints. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. They're much cheaper. So on the Pierce Lady Deathstrike reply, reply, I won't belabor my point too much, just elaborate that I viewed this interaction in context of hierarchies and how they inform behavior, even behavior represented in fiction. For instance, the Reavers are a good example of dominance hierarchy, and Pierce is at the top of that hierarchy. In context, it's not that unusual that subordinates would behave differently than they otherwise would independent of that structure. Conversely, it also wouldn't be unusual to see subordinates challenge or usurp the symbol of power, as happened in 252 with Deathstrike violently rebuking an advance that overstepped a boundary of tolerance. You're right, having more dialogue to emphasize this point isn't an unreasonable request, but I personally think enough verbal, nonverbal and symbolic information was provided for the audience to infer meaning and motivation. After all, young children as young as infants and toddlers can understand social hierarchies and what happens in them. As adults, we might sometimes underestimate how much kids are cognitively capable of. Uh, for sure, kids are definitely aware of, uh, like, uh, what, what, what did he say? Hierarchies, dominance hierarchies, um, as they have to be. Um, I don't know. From my perspective, you know, do you have anything? Me, from my perspective, uh, when I was a kid, I just assumed that like teams of people just kissed each other a lot. Right. So, uh, whether you're good or you're bad, you're kissing. So that just made me think like when I'm older and I'm with my team team being like a, you know, a parallel for group of friends or coworkers, like I'm going to be kissing people. Cause that's just what you do. <laughs> uh, maybe I wasn't a part of like, you know, normal average children just had a crazy imagination, but, I think I think a lot of our issue with that scene had to do with uh, Lady Deathstrike being like the Lady Deathstrike we know is characterized a little bit differently than that one. And also it, it's interesting in this age of uh, Me Too and women uh, having more, I don't know how to say it in a PC sort of way, but um, being in a better place than they were in 1980s certainly makes that scene different than it did back then. And I think that's kind of what we were getting at and less, less the kind of dominance hierarchy where, you know, you have your, your villains who you have the leader and you have the followers and you have the ones that are like the pretty boy sequence that we did a couple issues ago where he tries to make fun of Pierce and he ends up, uh, getting put into the, the pretty boy body. That, that to me, makes a lot more sense than the Lady Deathstrike thing did. Sure. Uh, I, I, my recollection of reading it as a kid is, is certainly not thinking about it much, but just assuming that this, like, people, coworkers, people that are friends, people that gather together, uh, they kiss. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, no, no context, no, like, deeper level, just, oh, okay, well, I guess that's what happens when you're older. You just kiss. Well, and honestly, movies tell you that same thing, too, because like people are kissing all the time without motivation. Yeah. So it, it's just like a thing. Uh, he says, anyway, great stuff. You're getting closer to my favorite issue of all time. Another good example of challenging kids, interferential abilities and capacity for inquiry. I'll reveal what issue this is once you finally review it. Ooh, I look forward to that. Maybe it was this one. Although, no, there wasn't really any stuff that kids would dive into in this issue, I don't think. Huh? Who knows? I don't. This reminds me, remember, uh, remember 
somebody sent us books a while back and they were very, uh, they were kind of academic studies of the X-Men and, yes. uh, you got, you got a different book than I got. And the one that I got was a collection of essays and I read most of it. Um, and it was, it was, it was definitely a higher level of thinking than I subject myself to on a regular basis. Mm. So I think this falls along that, uh, line of thinking, which I'm trying not to be critical, but I'm, uh. I don't I don't I don't dive this deep on a regular basis. I never read the book that I was given. No. No. Well, that, that's sad. <laughs> I hope he still isn't listening to us. <laughs> I look I'm Ooh, being that, honest. Like I wanted yeah. to and I thought it was neat that like here's here's some advanced copies and then the idea was like we were supposed to read them and then maybe talk about them, do a little bit of promotion and we just never did and then like 7 that years passed. Jerk. So I don't ever read my book. I feel like the statue of limitations is over. He sold all the books he's pretty much going to sell. Um, yeah, I thought one of them was supposed to be maybe like a textbook or something. Probably the one no, that you, you read. Yours, yours was a hard cover. Mine was a soft cover. That's all I remember. And mine was a book of essays. Here, that you, we're not you all, should talk all about it hand. for a second. I, I have it right here. Okay. Uh, mine was a collection of essays that were not all by the author who was the person who was writing us whose name Jeremy is about to find for us. And uh, the one that Jeremy got, I believe, was a book entirely by this person. And he has written several books um, about different superheroes, I think all Marvel, that are all available on Amazon. What is his name? Joseph uh, Dorowski. Yes. And I should have probably <laughs> read it because this probably would have answered our Lady Deathstrike question. Maybe <laughs> it says uh, X Men and the mutant metaphor, race and gender in the comic books. So it probably talks all about like gender-based relationships uh, as well as race relationships, um, using X Men as metaphors. And I'll be honest, I, I don't know why I haven't read it. Like the glossary is like a third of this book. It's only 156 pages. What's the title of it? Uh, X Men and the mutant metaphor. X-Men, the mutant metaphor. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up on Amazon and see if you can buy it. Mutant metaphor. So J Joseph Dorowski, if you're still out there, I apologize for not reading your book. Um, probably should have. You can buy it on Amazon for 90 bucks. Yeah. There's no price on it, but I also feel like this was supposed to be like a, uh, like a textbook. So I think that's why yeah, I wonder, it's so expensive. I wonder if that's why it's 90 bucks. Is it 90 so bucks he, new or is it used? I don't know. I clicked off the page already. Yeah. Uh, he's written books about, uh, Iron Man, uh, Cheers, Frasier, Justice League. Uh, there's the book that I have the ages of the X-Men essays on the children of the Adam in changing times. That's the one he sent me. Uh, ages of Superman, ages of Wonder Woman. So he's got a lot of books. There you go, everybody. Seven years after he gave us the books, you should go check out Joseph Dorowski. <laughs> and if you're an aspiring artist or uh, author that wants to give us free stuff, we'll talk about it in seven years. Yeah, no problem. I mean, we probably talked about it when he gave it to us initially. Yeah, and like, you I, probably I can't wait said, to read this. I'm going to read this. And, <laughs> and I'm going to talk about it, and it's going to be so exciting. And then we just never did. Seven years later. <laughs> hey, at least we followed through. That's true. Can't say we didn't talk about it. And he never gave us a timetable. So, you know. That's true. And he probably stopped listening to our podcast, like, immediately afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could be wrong. All right, well, 
Thanks, Brian. There you go. If you want to send us some stuff or just send us some comments, that that's fine too. Uh, you can get a hold of us at uh, www.xmen.com facebook wait that's totally wrong www.xmenpodcast.com facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast at danger room go is where we are at on twitter danger room at xmenpodcast.com is our email address you can find us on itunes and uh, you can go out to www.patreon.com forward slash danger room and subscribe uh for now for the age of social distancing anyways it's all free uh but you know it might be a taste for a while and we're going to have to lock it back down. Just saying. Ooh. But there's some good stuff. There's lots of content up there. Lots of content that's not available on the primary iTunes channel. So if you want to hear what we're talking about uh, as far as the current run of X-Men, uh, go out to patreon.com. Find out. And you can also learn about Jeremy watching uh, horror films. There's a sub-podcast. We got basically two podcasts in one. Yeah. It's so, fascinating stuff. There you go. Our music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, and uh, it's more to talk about. So both of our letters were by people named Brian. I don't know if they're the same or not. I assume that Brian Close Shave Xavier signs all of his uh, mail like that, and so that the other Brian was not him. I apologize if you're the same person, and I feel silly now. Very silly. I'm going to say that Brian Close Shave Xavier always signs off as close shave Xavier as that's what I think too. a testament to making fun of how I pro- pronounce professor Xavier. I believe so. Yes. No, that's, that's it, a callback, it, a classic seven year callback. It's probably hasn't been seven years. I don't know. Time flies by, but there's plenty more to read, right? Adam. Oh yeah, man. Acts and vengeance is happening. Oh boy. Uh, I didn't read all of it, but I read most of it. Let's start with X factor number 50, huh? Okay. Uh, that is a double-sized uh, conclusion to the Judgment War finale. So we finally learn what happened on another world, which I know we're both riveted and excited about. <laughs> uh, there was a few things I picked up, um, but I, I, honestly, I just don't care about anything that's happening in this story. Uh, I'll tell you the things that I cared about, and you can fill in any gaps if you think anybody else cares about what's happening with the... Uh, chosens and the rejects and the whoever else's i to sum it up everybody bands together because the the threat of the celestials is greater than any other of their petty uh personal squabbles which that part i thought was kind of neat yeah uh we know we have we have this idea that the celestials are these beings that come down and then judge whether or not you're worthy of surviving as a race or not and uh they determined that part of the idea is uh, if the Celestials come down with the hopes that you will band together as a society against them, is their theory. And that was kind of neat. Yeah, uh, so Scott gets his baby back. Uh, Scott gets his gene back, but his gene isn't quite right. He's got some personality mashups between her, Madeline Pryor, and uh, Phoenix, but ultimately when they all get along and the Celestials deem them worthy and they leave, um, the Madeline and Phoenix personalities uh, more or less leave, I guess. Yeah, so what happens is they 
she takes all of the combined society's willfulness uh, together, and she, as and as with with Cyclops as a conduit, fires it out through his eye beams, mm-hmm. and she also releases Madeline and Phoenix, the, that those parts of her through Cyclops to the to the celest to the blast that hits the celestial. So yeah, now she says they're gone. I can still remember their lives, but like a faded story now, not like I lived it. So, I mean, if you're getting ready for like some some weird dynamics between Madeline and Jean, eh, that's gone. It's done. Yeah, uh, which is good. <laughs> I mean, it would have been dumb, but, you know, I, I feel like they were maybe setting. I don't feel like this was the end uh, goal of the Madeline Jean story. But on the other hand, maybe they kind of looked back at Inferno and they're like, Ah, what are we going to do with this? Let's just get rid of it. I'm sick of Madeline and Phoenix. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, the celestial ship poops out more ships. Yeah. So we learn, we, we've learned that the ship is a celestial recording device, uh, a USB drive, and uh, it poops out a few more to now monitor the chosen reject begin again people. Um. Yeah, they head back. Uh, they 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 uh, fly back uh, very fast, and they pass by another ship uh, too fast to make it out. But evidently, there was uh, there's no sense of danger from that ship. But it turns out that it was a star jam. It was the star jammer. Yeah, and it was jamming and across the universe, Adam. It was. Uh, the star jammer is the name of their ship. I thought the star jammer was the name of their ship. But so I could the be star wrong. jammers in the star jammer. Yeah, they're the star jammers star jamming across the universe i wonder if that could be worked into the song <laughs> they're the star jammers in the star jammer <laughs> anyway are they the, food for thought do they call themselves the star jammers like hey we're the star jammers well he, he says here he's he's out there somewhere psych fighting a war with empress lalandra and her crew of star jammers yeah so i guess yeah uh and the professor on the star jammer Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the ship's not called the Star Jammer, but in my comic it is. He's like, oh my god, it's 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 them. It's my students, Cyclops, Gene, Beast, Angel. They're all together. My original X Men. Still the heroes I had known. Uh, now they're gone. Which doesn't doesn't the professor think that Gene's dead? Yes. Uh, he doesn't say anything about that. Okay. No, he doesn't. <laughs> but he's also like, why did he leave? He left in issue 200 or 201, 200. He had to go fight. He had to go fight a war with Lalandra. It wasn't because he was like all beaten. Because remember earlier, a couple issues prior, he, he was beaten for being a mutie lover. I don't think it was related to that, but it's been a while. Uh, 200 was the, the trial of Magneto. And at the end of the trial, he gave Magneto the ownership of the New Mutants sort of. I feel like and, he was like laying on the ground and we made like, oh, Magneto and the professor, they're going to kiss because Magneto or because the professor's laying on the ground. Like, I feel like he was wounded again. And that's why they were going to take him into the star jammer to repair him. But they they needed to like leave real quick because of Lilandra stuff. Hmm. I don't remember. Yeah. This is the part of the podcast where we <laughs> fail. <laughs> well, I'm glad this wasn't on the quiz. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so he's weak. And and now he's grown so weak, he's getting worse, isn't he, Sikorsky? 
Delirious. You betcha. Sinking fast possibility of termination, fear I. So that leads me to believe that he was like sick. I feel like he was uh, the the beating took more out of him than he let on. And he, he kept like holding himself together. But when he was in private, he was just like, oh, God, I'm an old, I'm an old weak man. We will have to wait until he's back to answer those questions. And hopefully they will answer them and not just skip over it. I don't really remember. I do remember the issue that he comes back, but I don't really remember him being like, and let me tell you the tale of what happened. (laughs) The tale of the star jammers in their ship, the star jammer. (laughs) We were star jamming across the universe. What was I talking about? Well, anyways, I'm back, X-Men. Oops, executioner's agenda. (laughs) Execution agenda. Anyways, uh, it's a double-sized issue, but the content of the thing, the planet the rejects and whatnot couldn't fill all the pages so we do get a uh, acts of vengeance backstory of apocalypse talking to the orchestrator of all of these events uh it's too long it doesn't matter it turns out it's loki which i had guessed that it was loki and i'm sort of disappointed that i didn't say on the podcast i think this is loki because i was thinking it was loki and now now this has been ruined for me. My moment of glory was destroyed <laughs> by the fact that we did this issue first. The interesting thing is that no other Acts of Vengeance issue, like I feel like they're building to like, who is this guy into the reveal? But I feel like this is just spoiling it, but maybe nobody's reading it. So nobody still knows. <laughs> I don't know. Or this this issue maybe is supposed to take place after it has been revealed. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it gets revealed in this month's titles. So. No, I don't think it does. Well, not not what I read. But Apocalypse and he do some fighting. They talk about who's more invulnerable than the other. We find out that Apocalypse is more or less immortal. He's been around for a long time. And uh, uh, Caliban, he gets a moment where he gets to attack um, Loki, but I feel like he's killed, but Apocalypse brings him back maybe. Um, and then Apocalypse is like, okay, Caliban, you're going to get your your chance now. You've been my hellhound for a while. Now we're going to Earth. You're going to do some stuff. He's planning to test humanity uh, as as he does. Yep. Gear, it's apocalypse. Sure. Gearing up for a, uh, a new, another apocalypse story in the pages of X-Factor. Now, this is, so, this is pretty much where I stopped reading X-Factor, so uh, most of it will be all new to me. Okay. Next issue, I guess, features Sabretooth. Uh, this issue of Wolverine number 19, also an Acts of Vengeance title, again, barely. Uh, Wolverine goes to, what is the name of the place? Puerto Tierro or something like that? Uh, Puerto Verde. Puerto, Puerto Verde in the capital city of Tierra Verde. Uh, he goes there because he is following up on his lead of the fact that his opponent, Roughhouse, is being shot up with steroids and turned into a brain-dead superhero. He discovers, uh, what is this guy's name? Tigerfish? Tiger? Tiger shark. Tiger shark, tigerfish. Uh, (laughs) Fighting a hero named La Bandera, who I believe is just local to uh, Puerto Verde, but maybe not. Maybe she came to Puerto Verde. Not really sure. But she's a local hero, it seems. And Wolverine helps her defeat Tiger Shark. I kind of I, Tiger Shark is goofy as hell, but I like kind of his backstory. Like uh, apparently he tried to be a hero, 
and he got crippled and then he got this suit so the suit helps him walk but the the trick with his suit is it always has to be filled with water <laughs> and uh and he can jump he can jump really high and he can swim and i feel so, like there's something there but his his costume is really dumb so all i know about tiger sharp is that he is a namor villain and oh. that i believe he is his strength is equal to namor okay so this is a portion of the act of vengeance that Tiger Shark is here fighting Wolverine. Well, we find out that Kingpin hired Tiger Shark to kill La Bandera for some reason. Mm. And it's like, what? <laughs> how, do, how is that an act of vengeance? This person that we've never fought before, we're going to send somebody random to fight them. It, it's, it's whatever. It's shoehorned in so that Wolverine fights Tiger Shark. I yeah. feel like there's there's a there's a missive out at Marvel Comics. Make sure your heroes fight different villains this month. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, there's a pretty corny uh, picture of Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, and Red Skull hanging out in that little octagon room. And we'll see more of that, but ah, gentlemen, eager for further acts of vengeance. I see. <laughs> yep. Then it returns you to your normally scheduled X Men comic or Wolverine comic. Which is mostly uh, we, this Geist guy. We learn that this Geist guy has been a kind of supporter of world bad people like Hitler. Um, we see him behind Hitler and a couple of other people. Escaped war criminals, uh, fascists. It looks like Henry Peter Geirich in this one thing, but I don't know if that's Henry Peter Geirich or not. On that same see. page uh, next to Geist, it looks like he's got a giant dildo on the wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't read this part. I only read the first part because it was somewhat entertaining and interesting. As I was flipping through the rest of the comic, I was like, oh, there's a dildo on this page. That's weird. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and then I kept going. Uh, Wolverine tries to get Geist to lead him to where Roughhouse is, but Geist instead leads him to where Tiger Shark is waiting. Uh, meanwhile, outside La Bandera is uh, creating a revolution and... Wolverine is about to get drowned, and that's where we end that particular issue. Tiger shark and as we know, down to the water. Yeah. As we know, Wolverine, that's the one way he can die is is by drowning. We don't know that yet. Well, okay. <laughs> it would make sense. In uh, Marvel Comics number 40, we Wait, get... Wait, would, wouldn't he be like... Couldn't he conceivably be like... Uh, uh, um, oh, shoot. What is it? Uh, Torchwood? Who is the guy from Torchwood? Jack, yeah, uh, Hark, Hark, uh, Jack Harkness. Not, yeah, okay, right. I don't know. Did you ever watch the <laughs> Torchwood shows? Yes. Yeah, they were great, uh, and they were the there was really good until until they did an American version of it. I the, the last season was not that great. I liked it, uh, and I was like, I just keep doing more. I'll keep watching this because it was weird and. Just weird and good. Uh, but it but, wasn't as good weird, though. Like, the season before with the children, yeah. that was really good. That was some inspired um, reading for, writing for sure. And it was like, whoa, this is dark. <laughs> but the uh, the the American one where, where they come to America and they do that whole series, I believe that was on Encore, which is probably why they Americanized it. But anyways, there was uh, one episode where they, like, he got sent back in time and then buried and so he would die and then wake up 
and then like suffocate and die and then wake up and suffocate and die. And he did that for like hundreds of years until they finally dug him up. <laughs> like, oh, that sounds awful. Yeah. I was like, and so I'm wondering, is that like effectively what happens to Wolverine? I think uh, Jack, is it Harkness? I don't feel like it's Harkness. Captain Jack Any, Harkness. Is it? Okay. Uh, so Captain Jack, I'll, I'm going to stick with that. Uh, I, I feel like he just can't die. It's not like a healing sort of thing. Yeah, you're right. Whereas if Wolverine was to drown, I, I would assume that there's nothing to heal. I guess his lungs could heal. Captain Jack but, Harkness, played by John Barrowman. Okay. Yeah. Last appearance. Oh, he was in a. He was in a. a, 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 a he was in an episode this year. Oh, he's in. He's in with the new Doctor. I guess the Fugitive of Jadoon aired twenty twenty. Spoilers. Well, that's what the that's what the title is called. That would have been a fun thing to to have uh, discovered on my own, Jeremy. Thanks. I apologize, but it's right here <laughs> on the wiki page. Like you type in Captain Jack Harkness, the first thing that comes up. Well, that's why I don't go to Captain Jack Harkness's <laughs> wiki page. I didn't even go to his wiki page. I just Googled him, and the first thing that comes up is this whole background of Captain Jack Harkness, as well as his first appearance and last appearance on Doctor Who. Hmm. Well, that'll be fun if I ever catch up. Yeah, I'm still in the midst of... Uh... Capaldi? No, I finished... Capaldi was a little, as they all are, a little challenging to get into. But as soon as I got into it, I, I blasted through all of them. The one that kind of tripped me up a little bit, which I loved the concept of, but was a really boring episode, was the one where he was in the castle all by himself. And he's just like running around the castle. It's a super good concept because you get the sense that he's there for thousands upon thousands of years. But I think I fell asleep like three times during the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I admired it for like what it was trying to do. Yeah, it but, was, it was. but I was like, "Where's, where's?" Uh, I can't remember uh, what her name is, but where's and she? He's being, he's being followed by some sort of monster, right? Something like that. Okay. Yeah, I, well, I vaguely remember that. It, it's like a time loop thing. Like he keeps making a little bit more progress, and then right, right, dies and starts over or something like that. But he does it something like thousands like and thousands of times, and then he something about water. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I recall that episode as well. And yeah, I agree. It was good. I did not fall asleep, uh, <laughs> but I, I I had trouble sticking with Capaldi, mainly because of the whole sunglasses and guitar that, aspect of that, it. That grew on me. I Really? You know, at first I was like, this is stupid. But then after the second or third time I saw it, I was like, oh, you know, he can pull this off. We have a theory that it was Peter Capaldi's idea. Wouldn't it be cool if my doctor wore sunglasses and could play a guitar? I can play a guitar. Check me out. Uh, and I thought some of that was neat because he would like narrate some of their adventure while playing the guitar. And I was like, eh, all right, I buy it. I'm good. I'll, I'll take it. <clears throat> I didn't mind. I didn't mind much of it. Uh, yeah, no, I liked it. And then, uh, you know, I did like the mistress, though. She was good. The mistress was was fantastic. That that whole setup, uh, maybe two or three episodes. Oh, and then they like teamed up for a minute. And they brought back the master. Yeah, that was cool. It was all good stuff. Yep. 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 Uh, but then I, I just haven't, I just, and it's not, a, it's not like she's a woman. It's more, I, when David Tennant started, I was like, Ugh. but now he's of course the quintessential doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, um, what's his face after that? Matt, Matt Smith. Matt Smith. He was a rough start, but then he's, his episodes are usually pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. uh, um, and then Peter Capaldi, right? Yep. Yeah. 
So it's I'm just it's been more than a few years, right? So it usually doesn't take me this long to get into the newest doctor, but it, it'll happen. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel like each time there's a new doctor, it's harder and harder to get into, and it's not it's not because of the the writing or because of the actor. Uh, I, it, I think it's just because it's the show has continually been not as good as it was at the at the at the peak. Yeah, the, the, the peak being David Tennant. Yeah. Christopher Eccleston was great. David Tennant was great. And then Matt Smith was less great. Peter Capaldi was a little less great than that. And now I just don't have as much interest. And Jodie Whittaker should, could could be amazing. She's a great actress. Uh, but I've only watched like three episodes so far. I'm about three or four episodes in. And, and one of them is going to click. And I'm going to be like, oh, I got to watch all this. But yeah. it just hasn't happened yet. But anyways, uh, and now, but now that I know that there's a Captain Jack Harkness at the end of this rainbow... I don't know. It might be time to revisit. Yeah, I I think it might be time to, that might be the carrot that I needed. (laughs) All right, well, back to uh, Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. Marvel Comics presents number 40, uh, Wolverine, uh, where we last left off, there was a giant white monster fighting a giant black monster, and Wolverine was caught in the middle. Uh, His, uh, where is he? He's in Hong Kong? Uh yeah, he's in Hong Kong. It's called Hong Kong Inferno. So the uh, the woman that he met last issue, uh, he saves her life after he wakes up, and they barely escape uh, with their lives together, and the white monster and the black monster disappear. And then we get some backstory where we reveal that the reason that uh, Logan traveled to Hong Kong in the first place was because a friend of his who he convinced to go back to Hong Kong to fight for her children, I think, mm-hmm. um, disappeared. So now he's going to go look for her. And uh, she apparently died in one of the uh, previous battles where the one of the white monster fight the black monster. Because when the white monster and the black monster get together, uh, they cause super damage is the gist of this. I kind of like this story so far um yeah it's it's not bad it uh, i like the well number one i like the idea that, that there's this story that wolverine's narrating and he i guess he does that more often than not as you go through some of these more modern issues but i also like the idea that uh while all of this is happening like there's an x-men adventure happening without him mm-hmm. but he's leading this completely separate double life where he's got his patch on he's traveling to hong kong He's got this whole other life, whereas right now, like, well, I mean, I guess they're all dead, but Havoc and Dazzler and Rogue, they just hang out, you know, in Australia, hanging out with the X-Men, mm-hmm. don't have any other side things going on, yet Wolverine's like an international spy. <laughs> I think at this point, oh, there was, there's a joke in Wolverine number 19, and I think in 18, too, where Geist keeps assuming that the person that is chasing him is not Wolverine, but a person wearing a Wolverine mask. Oh. Which is a kind of silly, like, what do you have to do to convince you it's Wolverine? Um, yeah, the the, on, the only thing that I wish about this Marvel Comics Presents story is that I was reading it in one chunk and not eight issue or eight eight page parts. Yeah, it it kind of makes it hard to keep up with the story or remember where yeah. you're at. Or I, I I mean, yeah, I, I hear that. In the uh, the the Wonder Man story, Beast is there and he fights Wonder Man. Yeah, I, I saw that. Uh, uh, somebody calls Ronald Reagan, and Nancy Reagan's like, I thought I gave you all your orders. 
that was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, it's not a very good Ronald Reagan. Uh, he looks a lot younger than he would at this point post presidency. It's kind of fun that he's in completely insane. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Nancy Reagan's got blonde hair and doesn't look like Nancy Reagan at all. They look like they're younger. Yeah. I don't know what the heck he's talking about like the whole time. Bonzo goes to Washington. Tell Bonzo I said hi. Well, he had Alzheimer's towards the end of his presidency. Oh, so they're making fun of that? Oh, terrible. Now I feel bad. Well, I'm it's and and I think it just became more and more, you know, pronounced after he was president. And I should say that it's uncorroborated. I think people speculate that he was uh developing Alzheimer's in his final years as president, but he he definitely had it later on in life. And then the last thing he says to Nancy is, don't worry, Nancy, you're not running the country anymore. Eh, some, somebody has a beef with Ronald Reagan. Yeah, or they're just having fun. Or they're just having fun. It is, it is it's very silly. The, uh, the villain who I thought, whose name is Lorelai, who I thought was related to X-Men Lorelai, is not. It turns out to be the Enchantress, who also has a sister named Lorelai, which I had forgotten about because I don't know those things. So it's, it's enjoyable. Avengers uh, number 312 was an issue. What happened in that one? Did you read it? I, I read some of it. Uh, I read the parts I cared about. Um, a couple of questions. When you open up this book, uh, you see Janet, or the Wasp, I should say, uh, and she looks huge. Is she like giant woman and Wasp? Well, you see the perspective is that she's standing above everybody else. So the camera is pulled back into a wide shot, and she is sort of in the uh, foreground. Yeah, but she's so got she the just... same perspective of Falcon who's in front of her. Well, she's about the same size as Falcon. She's just higher up. I mean, if you look at the size of their heads, they're about the same size. Yeah, but based on like the perspective, it looks like she's like 10 feet away from him. I see what you're saying, but <laughs> this this perspective shot works for me. I did not have a problem with this. Immediately when I opened up this issue, I was like, oh, this must be that time when the wasp was giant wasp. And then I was like, wait a minute, did that ever happen? <laughs> It may as well have. And then nowhere else in the issue is she ever giant. She's either normal size or wasp size. Yeah. But they want to know, like, has the whole world gone crazy? And we then gets, we get some more banter with the uh, the all the villains in the room together, which is kind of entertaining. Yeah, far um, better drawn than we've seen before, too. Um, and I like how Mag like everybody is making their opinions, and then Magneto's like, Magneto agrees with each of you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I just like the idea of Magneto shouting that. <laughs> it's weird though because it's it's Red Skull starts it all off. He says, "Now explain yourself." It's not my custom to languish in the company of common criminals, and everyone's like, "But what?" And then Magneto says, "Magneto agrees with each of you." Which is weird. Because they're, they're, they're basically saying that uh, everybody's saying that Red Skull is a Nazi. Oh, a man who styles himself after one of Hitler's whelps is fortunate to be allowed to breathe the same. And that's when the mysterious Loki man says, gentlemen, gentlemen. Now, the, the, the Magneto we know would never team up with no. Red Skull. Absolutely it just wouldn't not. happen. He's got way too many morals and scruples and he would be like, no. And he's, Magneto has nothing he holds in common with mere humans unless it is an all-abiding uh, hatred for this scarlet-headed creature represents all that is vile and loathsome in this world. Chris Claremont so, spent like 15 years like reshaping and, and rede redeeming this character. And then just like one crossover, they're like, Magneto agrees with each of you. 
Except for Red Skull. I mean, at the very, yeah. at least, at least Magneto doesn't take the side of Red Skull, even though they're working together. Yeah. So it's a, it's way out of character. But as we saw, uh, Magneto telegraphed this in X-Men number 251 or whatever. Right. I'm going to go do some evil things for a while to take the heat off of you. Uh, but I might even team up with the Red Skull. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, more banter. Um, the then the Brotherhood of Mutant Evil Mutants. Oh, wait, what are they now? Freedom Force. Freedom Force. Freedom Force shows up in Central Park, and they're trying to get the Avengers to show up. Now, hang on. Uh, uh, we have Blob, Avalanche, and Avalanche. Pyro. Yes, the three of them. Now, and this takes place after the episode, okay. uh, the, the last issue that we just did of where uh, Destiny has died. And they reference that. They reference that, and they say. That Avalanche has gotten better, and it's too bad that uh, Destiny didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they say, like, Mystique is mourning or something like that. Um, yeah, nobody's in charge, Blob, while Mystique's grieving. We agreed on that. We're independents now. And Pyro says, nicely done, Avalanche. Your power stopped that car as surely as if it hit a brick wall. Glad to see you recovering from the wounds you received at the hands of the Reavers. So... Stonewall was killed. You think so? Well, it's the Marvel Universe, so who knows? But I feel like somebody's like, Stony, oh no, they dot 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 or something like that. Yeah. I thought I thought so Blob was sucked underground, but I mean Blob's Blob, he can't he can't really die. Um I thought that something had happened to Avalanche, which I guess they're they're uh, talking about, but I thought it was like serious, like because he did like his his thing, and then I thought they killed him. I probably thought that as well, but you know. And then I also apparently, thought apparently he recovered from those wounds. <laughs> and I thought maybe nothing happened to Pyro. I don't think anything happened to Pyro. I mean, I think uh, they... I, Pyro and Mystique thought they were about to die. Yeah, and that's when Pyro talked about. I never got to sell my amazing book. That's right. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never know if my book is a bestseller. So, what happened to? Uh, Speedy Man. Oh. Uh, Super Saber. He's elsewhere. He's on another mission. There there was uh at the at the last issue of Uncanny X-Men that we covered with the Freedom Force, they there was a couple members on the team who were doing something else. And I thought that was gonna be covered in this issue of Avengers. I was wrong. <laughs> so they're still doing something else. Well, they Who, should whoever they are. They show up at the Avengers statue thing. I don't remember why. They're trying to get the Avengers to show up so that they can arrest somebody. I don't... Uh, maybe they just want to arrest the Avengers. Yeah, I don't know. So Vision shows up, but Vision's inside out white Vision, so he's got like no emotions or something like that. They keep talking about how they're independents too, so I'm not really sure what what... It doesn't really make sense what they're doing out here. Blob says, you can make yourself useful, robot. You can whistle up the rest of the Avengers and tell them Freedom Force is here to can their butts for them. Eh, okay, they just want to fight. It's an act of that's vengeance. What that's what it seems like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, they fight Vision. Uh, then the rest of the Avengers show up and they fight for a while. It's, it's not good. Some of the statues get ruined. I think that somehow... The acts of vengeance are what's causing this. 
Uh, I mean, the only other interesting thing that happens is, you know, Blob's immovable. Uh, so Hank Pym uses some Pym particles to shrink the Blob, but doesn't take into account the mass of Blob. So the Blob sinks into the ground and Hank Pym is like, oh my God, he might plummet all the way to the center of the earth. That's kind of funny. So it's another one of those, oh, Magneto is trapped at the core of the earth for five years and he trained his body and one day he jumped up and got out. <laughs> I'm curious how we're going to get Blob out of wherever he's stuck. I hope I hope they make something good out of it. Uh, and then somebody does something to uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch is getting ready to exact some revenge when Doctor Doom, Red Skull, and Loki are watching on some Vizzy screens. I suggest something be done immediately before an Avengers victory in this battle serves to shore up the damage to their resolve we have already worked. So they, uh, the police show up, and then Captain America shows up, and then we get this sweet Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle serial ad. Yeah. I, I don't have that on mine. Oh, I remember that. That was great. It's like, what are it's you, great. I don't have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ads in my Marvel Unlimited issue. Oh, I'm not reading in Marvel Unlimited. I want to see the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles serial. Oh, I, man, you are missing out. I, I never, I had a lot of like cross or uh, uh, tie-in serials, but that's not one of them. Oh, man, I, I had this. I, I think I had a, a Raphael bowl that you could get either by sending in the UPCs or it came inside the box. I can't remember. Oh, wow. That's, that's how I got out of it. And then... Uh, it's crunchy, sweetened ninja nets with Ninja Turtle marshmallows. Oh my God, so it sounds amazing. It tastes, it tastes like every other cereal <laughs> that has marshmallows in it. Yeah, yeah. Cowabunga! It's delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, um, how, that's how that ends for the most part. Yeah, they 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 fly away uh, after the blob disappears and they can't rescue him. My favorite Captain America shows up. My favorite uh, tie-in cereal was uh, Ghostbusters cereal. It, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. It had like normally like your Lucky Charms have like like bits that are like weedy, like they're they're cereal. Um, but the Ghostbusters cereal was like I swear like the the wheat bits or the the cereal part was like was it was definitely like crunchy sugary cereal, and then you had marshmallows. So it was like the absolute worst combination of all cereal things in one box. <laughs> and there were so many marshmallows, I remember. And they were the little ghosts, right? Yeah. Oh, I would just... I, we Somehow we had boxes of it, and I would just sit there and just... I would eat it by the handful, and then I'd be like, I should put this in milk. And then I'd have like a couple bowls, <laughs> and I would just devour those boxes. <laughs> Yeah, good times. I wish they still made that cereal. I loved it. Do 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 do. Remember C three POs? I didn't ever have C three POs. It's the same marshmallowy substance. It's all the same. No, it's not though. See, Lucky Charms, like I'm telling you, like the the non marshmallow bits were like almost quote unquote healthy because they had like cereal wheat elements. The Ghostbusters cereal was like crystallized cereal bits. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't pure sugar because that would be disgusting, but it was really close. How long before they have baby Yodas? Oh, my God. I I bet you that's already been a cereal that's come and gone. And there's definitely a Yoda cereal that has come and gone. Um, oh, they're, they're, uh, Funko did an alien cereal. Oh, that's it's all, funny. It's all, it's all black Fruit Loops. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. No, I bought the, some Super Mario cereal recently. We ate that. 
Oh, do you have the uh, the amiibo that you can use? I from that? scanned in the amiibo. I had the box and I threw it away. It's like I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to cart this thing around. But I forget which games you can use the amiibo for. I forget too. I scanned it in and it <laughs> did something, but I got rid of the box. All right, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number three twenty-seven. This has got my favorite, second favorite artist, Eric Larson. He's your second favorite artist. Who's your first? Rick Leonardi. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is not Rick Leonardi at his finest, but you can definitely see. It's not Rick Leonardi at all. It is Rick Leonardi. No, it's, uh, sorry, uh, Eric Larson. This is not Eric Larson at his finest, but you can definitely see the elements of Todd McFarlane rubbing off on him. Yeah, unfortunately. Like the layouts. Are... And once he finds him himself, I feel like he's much better. Yeah. So this issue is weird because so Spider-Man's cosmic. Uh, Magneto and all the bad guys are meeting in their room and, and they're all like, we got to do something about Spider-Man. He's got these new powers. And Magneto's like, I'll do it. And everyone's like, I didn't think you wanted to do this. And he's like, I've got reasons. <laughs> and so meanwhile, Peter Parker's kind of dealing with this, like, I've got all these new powers and what if I hurt somebody? And so the whole, uh, kind of sub story of this whole thing is him trying to figure out how he can hold back so that he doesn't hurt people. Uh, and so Magneto's following him around. He, he lands in Central Park and just like assaults a passerby, which is not a thing Magneto would do. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Uh, Magneto sits down at a park bench and he's like, well, I guess I'll just, I'll just wait. Um, I've got this portable TV that I will face away from me and watch. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, Spider-Man's asking all of his with, Great power comes great responsibility stuff. Mary Jane kisses a guy on her TV show, and it's the first guy she's kissed other than Peter since for a while. That's a big deal. That's not a big deal. It's, she's acting. Yeah. No, no, of course not. It's just like she makes a comment like, who's the first? It's a, I guess you're right. It's a big yeah. deal to her. But I don't, yeah. It, it just was a interesting it's 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 a testament to spider-man you know he does all of his things but yet you know they have day-to-day thoughts and feelings and problems that they not that her kissing somebody at her job's a problem but still or, or is it maybe it is i don't know <laughs> who knows maybe the next issue they get a divorce because of it i think we'll cover the next issue because there keeps being all these cameos so magneto and spider-man fight spider-man yeah, doesn't all, know why to be said. it's bad uh, it's it's not it's not good uh a car gets launched like into a boat. Uh, Magneto is like, oh, this, this, he's not a mutant. He's not the mutant I wanted to find. I'm out of so here. The whole, the whole thing is, a, uh, the whole reason that Magneto wanted to f- go fight or tangle with Spider-Man is because he thought maybe he's, his new, his new powers, his new powers are because he's a mutant. And then he's like, oh, so you're not a mutant? All right, I'm out of here. He saves everybody on the boat. Uh, every, some people cheer him. Some people hate him. He goes home, and he's all sad. Which Magneto just decides that his powers are, he's not a mutant because he keeps gaining new powers, and he's like, his powers are too diverse. He's not a mutant. Yeah. What does that mean? It's a little thin. <laughs> but Th- yeah, Spider-Man flies now. Yeah, that's neat. Uh, Thor number four. 412 uh, has the juggernaut and it has the new warriors. The uh, 
second appearance 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 proper of the new warriors in the marvel universe i think this is before their own title has come out i think it, i think that's pretty much confirmed at the end of this issue but uh this is where like if you're not knowing it's loki you're probably getting the idea of it's it's loki because you see a couple of scenes of this man sitting on his throne and he's talking about the utter humiliation of the thunder god yeah you're right i think this is where i kind the, of was connecting the dots the grand schemes are all proceeding as planned these are all things that loki would say and do um, but yeah, the so the new warriors they they fight Juggernaut. We get the idea that Night Thrasher's a hothead and and loses his cool quickly. Um, but he rides a skateboard. Yeah, it's like a flying skateboard. There's a sub story here of Hercules reading Elf comics, and which is hilarious. Yep, and this kid gets picked up by his mom. I don't know what's going on here, but you yeah, never see her face, so there's definitely an important story happening here. It's Thor stuff. Mm. We don't need to know about it. Don't care. Um, Firestar's like, oh, I know all about him. I read the X-Men's files. He's unbeatable. <laughs> she doesn't say that, but she does say, like, I know him. He's dangerous. Um, and they, they fight. And uh, Thor finally regains consciousness. You'll remember that he was knocked out uh, last issue. So basically the new warriors have been kind of running the comic book while Thor recovers. Uh, and then Thor uses the power of his hammer to blow a hole behind the juggernaut. Then the juggernaut trips backward into it. And he's like, I don't care. I'm the juggernaut. But then he finds himself on another plane of reality. Yeah. Um, which is a thing that can be done with Thor's hammer. Sure. So this is interesting, right? So blobs may be at the center of the earth juggernauts once again found himself in a different reality you'll recall that's right he was there didn't he went there when when he was fighting beast or something yeah and he turned or, into or is like, that how he got back i don't remember but he turned into like an old man and like disintegrated but then somehow he came back yeah so how are they going to bring him back now I don't, juggernaut's been like all over the place it's interesting uh thor hits him with a lightning bolt which is kind of fun yeah doesn't really affect him but that's that's so what exactly happens here he, he he falls into the hole that thor created and then fire they throw some girders on top of it and firestar melts the girders into molten slag and then thor raises all of the melted girders which have the juggernaut trapped inside of it and launches it into space Oh, no, wait. Thus I must call open my mystic mallet to open the portals of time and space and banish this obelisk to some distant dimension. Wow, okay. So, yeah, he just sends him to another dimension. That's impressive. Yeah. So cool. I'm looking forward to how we get our blob and our juggernaut back. Yeah, we'll have to keep uh, on top of that. Yep. Uh, this last three I just kind of wanted to briefly mention. They weren't really worth reading, but... Uh, in Cloak and Dagger number nine, we get another uh, appearance of Fenris, Woo. who we haven't seen in a while. Um, oh, and there's also this weird subplot where they go to the hospital, and there's a bunch of... We don't actually see them, but we hear about how the hospital has a bunch of people that fit the descriptions of the X-Men. Oh. Uh, and, and, then the, uh, and then it says at the end, next issue, Cloak and Dagger versus X-Force. So I was like, oh. What's that? Weird. Uh, Punisher War Journal number 12, we get introduced to Bushwhacker, who we last saw when he fought Daredevil and Wolverine 
it was one of those bad issues where Wolverine was not written very well and wanted to kill everybody. Vaguely remember um, that. So uh, the only interesting thing about this is that Bushwhacker is killing mutants and apparently he is being paid for to do this by the Marauders. So I thought that was kind of neat. And then in Fantastic Four number 335, we get uh, the Fantastic Four have gone to, I think, L.A. to uh, give a to go to, to go to, to go to Congress. So I guess, I guess not L.A. Um, to discuss the mutants or not the mutant, the Superhero Registration Act. And as they're there, they keep getting attacked by random villains. But at some point, Apocalypse just flies by. And everybody freaks out because they think they're coming for them, but then he just kind of goes past. Hmm. Um, and then Plant Man shows up, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Plant Man. <laughs> Remember him from the yesteryear? I, I do. I, I do. I remember uh, him from the uh, Marvel Age number 63 quiz. I know. And then that, that happened, which was a great coincidence. Uh, Vanisher shows up. What? And- Vanisher? Yeah. No, he's dead. Oh, not Vanisher. I'm thinking of uh, Shieldy guy, Eunice. Shieldy guy. Oh, Eunice. Yeah. No, this the last we saw Vanisher is he was hanging out with the the kids that Boom Boom was hanging out with, um, Fallen Angels. Yep. <clears throat> he was their kind of pseudo leader. Well, he's back to his criminal ways. Uh, all these villains are dispatched really easily. We also see Henry Peter Guyrich talk about how he ran the Avengers for a while and how he hates mutants. So. Just a brief brief mention of those things. Nice. All right. Going to be even more of this next issue, Woo. next episode. I don't know if I can handle it. There's like five Magneto cameos. <laughs> Stupid Magneto. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's enough for me, Adam. How about you? I'm good. All right. Well, until next time, everybody, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>